0: everybody, welcome and thank you for listening to this episode of Marriage Therapy Radio. My name is Zach Riddle. Laura is not with us today. I'm here all by myself today, except that I'm not. I'm here with A.J. Jacobs. This has got to be one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. A.J. wrote a book called The Puzzler, which is all about, well, it's all about puzzles, um, including crossword puzzles and jigsaw puzzles and mazes and the puzzle of life. And we talk about the puzzle of marriage and relationships. A.J. has really incredible insights. I was really pleased to get to talk to him. I learned a ton. Uh, I hope that we are going to be friends and I think you'll really enjoy it. This is a very cool conversation. Stick around. It's nice to greet you and to say hi and see your face. I I feel like um, I've been listening to the book on Audible. I love listening to people who read their own books. Well, thank you. But I've been listening on like 1.7. So now I have to like, slow down and realize. Well, I'll try don't. to talk
1: quickly. How's that? I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah. I think I can do it. Yeah. I can not, maybe not 1.7, but 1.5.
0: That's pretty fun.
1: Uh, well, I'm very flattered that you're liking the book. That is just delightful. And uh,
0: are you a, you were a puzzle fan yourself? A little bit. I didn't know it was a book that I needed, to be honest, like kind of like everybody else. I got into something new during COVID. I learned how to play chess and I oh. I found the crossword puzzles and I'm like hooked. Like I bought the New York times subscription and now I am archiving like all the way back. I think I'm into like 2018 now. I might be doing three a day, but wow. And then I just, uh, I, the book, I don't know how it came across my desk. And I was like, wait, I think I need to, to read this one. So I kind of put it off, put it off, put it off. And then I started listening to it on a road trip and I couldn't get enough. I was like, I want my road trip to be longer. Cause I, <laughs> I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to finish it, but that
1: um, is a huge compliment. Well, yeah. I love it.
0: Yeah. yeah. I um i I've, I've been working on the New York Times crossword. I can do Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday consistently. Gotcha. Um, and now I'm kind of starting to get into Thursday and sort of figure out how. Yeah, to-
1: it took me, like, I'd say, five years before I could do a Saturday consistently. Uh, yeah. So now, and now I'm always terrified because the moment that I can't do the Saturday will be objective proof that my brain is in decline. So oh, no. it's a little too much, uh, you know, a little too much objectivity for me.
0: Well, I, I you know, th- 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 so the, the podcast, we'll talk about whatever we want today, but I, I'm a big fan of just sort of thinking about like, what does the brain do? Why does the brain do it? What is it? You know, so th- I'm having the, op- the opposite experience, which is once I kind of got Tuesday down, I was like, okay, I'm going to try Wednesday. And I was learning. And now I feel like better and better about Wednesday. And so now I'm going to like lean into Thursday. So I'm having the, my brain is actually learning how to do That's new great. things and it's, it's growing. I, so.
1: I encourage it. Yeah. I still love it. It's still the first thing I did at 10 o'clock sharp. I start clicking my refresh button. 10
0: o'clock. What PM, is that?
1: Cause it goes online at 10 PM. Uh, the next day's cross. So, puzzle. yeah, it's midnight for me. Oh,
0: where are you yeah. located again? I'm in Seattle.
1: Oh, in Seattle. Interesting. Yeah, so
0: I actually get it like at, at midnight. Same with the Wordle and same with the, um, I, your book introduced me to the uh, spelling bee. So now I'm hooked on the spelling bee. Oh. Earlier this week, I got my first, uh, what's the best one? Genius? Queen bee or genius? No, I just got genius without without any clues. Nice. So that was the first time I did that. So yeah, I'm just, it's... um. It's working out. So anyway, <laughs> That's great. I have this, I have this thing that I do. I've, um, I've been interviewing people. We, so on the podcast, mostly it's Laura and I, we talk to each other. About I've whatever's listened to a mind. few
1: episodes and enjoyed them very oh, much. Very helpful. Thanks.
0: Yeah. Thanks. We're like a brother and sister and we kind of bicker at each other for a little bit. And then we talk about whatever the topic of the day is, whatever's on our mind. Sometimes we get to interview some cool people. I always like interviewing people who aren't in the relationship space. Just because I'm interested in and knowing about like, how does your brain, how, 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 if you're good at one thing, can that make you good at something else? Yeah. Right. That topic. Uh Um, so we've gotten to talk to, I talked to a professional athlete, which was my favorite interview. Her name is Christine Lilly. I don't know if you follow women's soccer at all, but she's one of the greatest players of all time. And then we talked to a guy who's like big professional nerd. He's one of these guys who tells you all the Easter eggs you missed in the latest Marvel movie kind of thing. (laughs) Um, Talk to a fighter pilot, Talk to an artist. So yeah, I'm interested just to talk to you and kind of see what, there are some very specific parts of your book that I'm interested in, but you also like, your brain just does weird things. Like you decided I'm going to go, was it was the year of living biblically. Like, where did that, where did that come from for you? Like, what did, what were you thinking?
1: Well, that came because I grew up in a very secular home, very little mm-hmm. religion. As I say in the book, I'm Jewish, but I'm Jewish in the same way the Olive Garden is Italian. So, not (laughs) fair. No offense to the Olive Garden. Yeah. Uh, But I wanted, I had a son and I wanted to know, you know, what should I teach him about religion, if anything? And what I like to do, as you mentioned, is really go in deep and immerse myself in these topics. And so, I thought one way I could learn about the Bible might be, live it. Why don't I just Try to follow in the footsteps of our our forefathers and foremothers. Yeah. And so I wrote down every rule I could find in the Bible. And that's a lot of rules. That is yeah. like 700 rules. And yeah. uh, I wanted to follow them all without picking and choosing. So the Ten Commandments, but also don't shave the corners of your beard. I didn't know yeah. where the corners were. So I just let the whole thing grow until it was like <laughs> down to my practically my navel. Uh, and, uh, don't wear clothes made of two different kinds of fabrics and on and on stoning adulterers, which I yeah. use very small stones, pebbles. So, yeah. uh, yeah, it was a wonderful experience. And, you know, of course I didn't keep everything. I, I shaved my beard yeah. and I stopped stoning, but it did have an effect on me. There were things that I took away. And, what did you take away? What was your, well, one of the biggest ones was just gratitude. I mean, there's tons mm. in the Bible about giving thanks and uh, I do think my my default mode is is more Larry David than, uh, than Mr. Rogers. like I, I do feel I was born wired that way with a negative bias mm. but uh, but it's not a fun way to live. and so I've yeah. been struggling ever since to figure out rituals of gratitude and actually that led to the premise of a whole other book I wrote later, which was where I thanked. A thousand people who had anything to do with my morning cup of coffee. So I thanked the barista. I went to oh, South wow. America and I thanked the farmer and I thanked the logo designer and the truck driver and the people mm. who made the road for the truck. And I kind of got carried away, but it was good. That's a whole book. Yeah, that was That's a whole book. book. I mean, it could have been more. It could have been like a, you know, a series. I could have gotten to a million people to thank. I stopped at a thousand.
0: What's interesting is that this week, this episode of this podcast will come out, I think, the week after Thanksgiving, and mm. I think the one we just recorded was about gratitude and how important that is and how, how much I love it. It turns out, um, you might know this, turns out people who have a regular gratitude practice, they're healthier, and people who are specific about their gratitude practice are healthier than people who simply are regularly practicing gratitude. So it really is the kind of the key, to, I think, to, if not just mental health, like, general health, spiritual health overall. So it seems like that's a cool takeaway to have gotten from the book.
1: I love the, speci- the specificity idea. I, I agree. Yeah. Cause I send my mom and I exchange one thing we're grateful for every morning by email. And to me, yeah, I feel good when I can make it. So I'm not just thankful for my dog. I'm thankful for the way she like turns yeah. over on her back and rubs her head into the carpet for no reason. You know, it just makes me laugh. So yeah, I love that. Um,
0: You, you said um, you are a kind of person that you like to do deep dives, right? Like, is that how you phrase it? What do you know about that? Where does that come from? That's a good question. I, I just think that
1: um, gratitude and curiosity are probably two of my favorite human drives. So I do think I was born maybe genetically with a high curiosity drive. And uh, and I, I remember one of my favorite quotes was when I interviewed um, Alex Trebek, the late great host of Jeopardy. And he said to me, uh, I'm curious about everything in the world, even those things that don't interest me, which is kind of paradoxical. Mm-hmm. Like, how can you be interested in something you don't care about? But I totally get it. I'm interested in everything, like even stereotypically boring things like accounting. I feel that if I dove into accounting, it could be fascinating.
0: I'm sure. Yeah. So um, I had a. Oh, go ahead. I had a buddy who who he had this weird job that they paid him literally to do nothing. He was like, I don't know. They won't fire me. They don't (laughs) give me any jobs. Like I just have to show up every single day. So he started using that time to learn about jewel heists or like <laughs> Mayan artifacts. He just picked something. And he decided that he would learn everything he could about that. So you've sort of got that gene on steroids, I guess.
1: Yeah, I love that. I wish I didn't have a job. Then I could uh, do it full time. <laughs> but actually, I feel very lucky. My job kind of is about pursuing my curiosity. Uh, yeah. So
0: yeah, I feel very lucky. You, have, you, have, you said you have a son. You have two sons. Three, actually. I have twins Three. and an older son. Okay. And you're married to Julie. Julie, right. Yeah. How'd you meet Julie?
1: Julie and I worked together at the same magazine, but we were on different sides. I was a writer and she sold ads. And uh, back then that was a no-no, which is, they called it church and state because <laughs> the ad, writers are not supposed to be influenced by the ad people. So it added a little uh, frisson. It added a little excitement that we were taboo, uh, but no one fired us when it turned when we went public. But yeah, no, I feel very, lo- I'm very grateful, very grateful yeah. to my wife, and um, and I'm also grateful because she's a good character in my books. So she has yeah. been really helpful to me because you know I do these deep dives, and she's sort of the straight man, and she's you know she rolls her eyes and she expresses skepticism like the reader might as a sort of a stand in for the reader. Uh, so yeah, I am, I am, cool. uh,
0: I feel very lucky. I was asked this question too. When people when I ask people, how, how you, how did you meet your wife? But when did you know she was your wife?
1: Hmm. I knew way before she did. I okay. was, I was definitely like I'm ready to commit and she was very skeptical for a long time cause I'm not what she expected. She, she was thinking she was going to marry, uh, sort of a lawyer type but more straight laced. Mm-hmm. And the idea of, you know, someone who's not quite as, um, mainstream, yeah. I guess is one nice way to put it. Uh, yeah. was surprising. What about you? Um, when did you know that you were going to marry your wife?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, it's funny, my wife, similar story. She grew up in Greenwich, Connecticut and her, her, parents always, or culture, I guess, had her slated to marry a guy who was in finance. And I was this like unemployed substitute teacher who was like trying to get shifts at Barnes and Noble. Um, <laughs> but we met, um, we met, uh, just at a summer camp and she, she famously, she went home that night and wrote down in her journal. She prayed that, dear God, please let this guy be my husband. Mm. First day, first day she ever met me. And it took me about, I don't know, four or five months to figure out that she was, uh, quality. She, she, was, she was dogged in her pursuit. So I guess we were a little bit of the opposite, but yeah, that's interesting. Um, but no, she, um, she had me pegged from the beginning and I, t- I was a little slow on the uptick when it comes to, <laughs> um, but we've got 25 years now and then I have two daughters. They are 16 and 20. So, um, yeah, we just, we just keep making it up as we go. We keep kind of puzzling it out as we go. Uh, you know, we met at a summer camp because we were both involved in this, youth ministry. And, you know, whether it's a year living biblically or whether it's kind of my own upbringing, I sent you that quote that, cause you know, in Genesis, there's this idea of a marriage, which is man will leave mom and dad, become united. They'll become one flesh. And then, and then there's this section in Ephesians where there's the whole, like, here's what all that means. And here's what a wife should do. And here's what a husband should do. And here's what the rest of it is all about. And then the very next sentence is, this is a profound mystery. Um, <laughs> so for me, as a therapist and as a husband, like it's really about like sleuthing it out, figuring it out kind of what is the, what's the puzzle of, of a marriage. And so that's why when you started to kind of reference it a little bit, I quote it, I have a quote that you said here. Um, oh, oh, I think it's out of the introduction. It's the way of the eraser. Oh um, yes. The way of the eraser is about being okay with mistakes, with tentative beliefs and flexibility I could be wrong, of course, but I believe that my years of crossword solving have made me more flexible in every part of my life, from parenting to writing to marriage. And I was like, I got to talk to this guy. So,
1: lo- <laughs> well, I love that. Yes, absolutely. I believe, and like you said, I think it's a great metaphor for marriage. The marriage is a puzzle, and I don't know if you've gotten to the part in the book where I sort of um, I adopt a motto that uh, I heard from a psychologist. It was a child psychologist. And it was during the pandemic, and it was about you know how to parent during the pandemic. And I was like I could use that help. Yeah. And the bot he said, uh, when you're parenting, don't get furious, get curious. So if your okay. kid does something really annoying, don't get angry. Just say, you know, why did you do that, and what can we do to make it uh, so you don't do that again. And I was like. I love this. Why should Mm -hmm. it just be for kids? Let me treat all of life like that, including marriage. So yeah, I see. And there's also another great quote from uh, Quincy Jones, the musician who says, he says, I don't have problems. I have puzzles. So he treats all of life like a puzzle, which I find so energizing because problems are, they're scary, thorny, ugly, negative. Puzzles are like, solution oriented, like optimistic, even playful sometimes. So yeah. when I have a problem in my marriage, that is the way I try to approach it. So, uh, I was trying to think of some examples earlier. Yeah. To I give was going to say, how
0: does that, how does that work for you practically? Like, how does that show up on the ground for you and Julie? Well, I'll give you a couple examples. One is
1: she hates my, the way I dress because, you know, I do dress <laughs> like, you know, you know, I'm not alone in this. I think many men fall into sort of the semi-homeless look. Yeah. And uh, instead of getting annoyed and being like, Well, who cares? They're just clothes. It's all about the in I'm like, why why do you why do you care how I look? And she explained that she thinks that it's it's about respect to our friends and family. You know, it's mm-hmm. showing respect that you are gonna dress up. And I was like, okay, so it's the friends and family that you care about. What about strangers? And she's like, I don't really care. So I'm like, okay, that's as good information. Because now Uh I can dress like a slob when we're going out, just the two of us, and we're not going to see friends or family. But when friends and family, I'm going to make an effort. So that was like news I could use. That was like good information that I got just from being curious and saying, why do you care? instead of being annoyed that she cared in the first place.
0: Yeah. I love it. I love it too, because it's not quite a solution, right? It's not a resolu- <laughs> or rather. It's not a resolution. Um, you didn't have to like solve the whole thing. I, I was thinking a little bit about, even if I think about the, the fact that I'm learning how to do Wednesday's crossword or whatever, it's not the solution. Isn't the solution. Maybe is the way I'm trying to say that. Like it's the, it's the effort, it's the energy, it's the torque tweaking it out. It's the, investigating and trying to figure out kind of what options are available to me that might not have been available so i love that while puzzles are solution focused sometimes solving them isn't the goal it's just learning something new or getting smarter or getting more adept in a way that you hadn't before
1: totally and yeah that is one of the big takeaways that i got from the book is that you know the uh the way you say the cliche is it's about the journey not the end point the way that puzzle people put it is one of the, the guy who sort of, um, made Sudoku what it is. Uh, he's the godfather of Sudoku, uh, Makikaji. And he, I saw him speak and he doesn't speak very good English. Uh, he's Japanese, okay. but he does use universal symbols. So his universal symbol for puzzles and for life is three symbols. The question mark, the forward arrow and the exclamation point. So question mark, you're like, what's going on? Forward arrow is like the solving. You're trying different things. Perseverance. Perseverance. And then the exclamation point is the aha moment. But his point was in life and in puzzles, you got to enjoy that arrow because you may never get Mm. to the exclamation point. So embrace the arrow. And actually someone, a friend of mine pointed out the arrow is not quite the right. It should be like a a curvy arrow that goes in all sorts of directions and then you know because life is never a straight arrow so the solution is you're going to be going on all sorts of uh, twists and turns and uh, and embrace that uh because yeah as you as i said you may never get to the uh the, the goal the solution
0: yeah and, and that, that was in the part about um the sudoku puzzle who was that guy's name his name is the, Maki the- kaji Okay, Uh, that's different than the guy, I think it's, um, uh, I feel like the guy who invented Ken Ken. Oh yeah, Miyamoto, he was another one.
1: And he also, he also, yes, he also, like these people who do puzzles, they're very philosophical. So they always are looking (laughs) for, you know, how do puzzles relate to life? And his big, his big uh, lesson was the one you mentioned earlier about mistakes and erasers. He's, he's a huge fan of failure. He says, I fail. Mm -hmm. 10,000 times to get one thing right. And he was a mm. failure, like self-professed, I'm not saying in my judgment, he claimed he was a failure in life for most of his life. He failed out of school and he um, you know he wasn't good at relationships and finally he found his calling and created mm-hmm. Ken Ken, which is a version of Sudoku. I yeah. shouldn't say that because he would kill me. It's totally different <laughs> than Chocobo. Than <Shigoku. laughs>
0: yeah. I haven't played it, but I'm I'm sure I'll discover it. I'm I'm the the book. By the way, for those of you who are uh, indoctrinated uh, not yet indoctrinated into the whole system, it's a it's a sort of a chapter step through different styles of puzzle, and then at the end of every chapter, there are, are like offerings of I like, kind of play with the the thing that you've described or sort of gone through describing so. It's not just a book that you read. It's a book that you actually play with and do something to and kind of get to mess around with those are my favorite kind. So it's actually a little bit of a bummer to listen to it on audio, despite hearing your voice. Like I wanted to be able to touch it and use my eraser and, Uh, you know, do different things. Well,
1: I did go out of my way because I felt bad for the audio. So I have, I know you did. I have a ton of like original audio puzzles. So yeah, you did. Oh yeah. And the PDF (laughs) of the other puzzles.
0: I felt cared for so much. (laughs) No, but the idea of failure too, I think it comes back to something that we repeat often, which is um, couples who are looking for help in therapy, a lot of times they do focus on this idea of solve or resolve. And I always say repair is more important than resolve. Repair is more important than resolve because staying connected while it's challenging is actually the, the win. It is actually the arrow. It's not necessarily getting to the other side. It's staying connected while you're, while you're working on it. So this idea of, you know, somebody, I think it's what did he say? Something like, if you fail 10 times, that's a, that's okay. But if you fail a thousand times, that's amazing. Yeah. That but helps. there's something about that being that you persevered another 990 times, Right. you know? Yeah, that was um, great. And uh,
1: I agree. Yeah. I love the idea of repairing. It, it's never going to be perfect. It's never going to be fully repaired. There's always going to be problems and sort of uh, accepting that radical acceptance.
0: One of my favorite stories in the book is about how you guys go to, um, what do they call it? The world cup basically of jigsaw puzzling. Yes.
1: Uh, I love that adventure too. This was a bizarre one because I'm actually not that good at jigsaw puzzles, but I'm, I'm as a writer, I was like, I have to have a chapter on them. So I yeah. Google jigsaw puzzles and on the sixth page, there's this entry, the world jigsaw puzzle championship coming up in Spain in two weeks. And I had two months and I was like, well, on a whim, I'll fill out the application. I'm not going to get in. Yeah. Next day, I get an email. Congratulations, Senor Jacobs. You are (laughs) Team USA. Get three teammates. No one else from the U.S. has signed up. There are 40 other countries, Brazil, Mexico, Japan. And I was like, oh, my God, this is terrible. So I recruited my wife and two of my sons and we flew to Spain and talk about failure. We were very good at failing. <laughs> we came, oh, in, yeah, I remember. we yeah. came in second to last. Not last, though, which I consider a great victory. But what I loved about it were several things. One, it really brought the family together. I mean, as mm-hmm. skeptical as they were in the beginning, uh, we just had a great time. And, and it shows that doing activities with your wife or, and your family is, you know, to me, just such a glue so like, you know as opposed to just sitting around watching TV, like doing something yeah. active. Yeah. and I also love how into it my wife got, which was just a joy to see. she it was eight hours. you had eight hours to do four big puzzles of like 2,000 pieces each. yeah and she <laughs> vowed to not go to the bathroom for that entire eight hours, which was a that was a first in our marriage. that, yeah. that was commitment. So, um, yeah, it really brought us together in a lovely way, even though we got trounced.
0: I love that. Tell me a little bit about your experience of this thing that you're calling the seven minute secret to a happy marriage.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm interested in your professional opinion on this. This, I would like to offer it. All right. Well, I'll tell it to you. This is not my idea. This was my boss when I worked at Esquire magazine. And and he said his secret to marriage is. Uh, seven minutes uh something like um that when you get wake up in the morning look at your wife or spouse and give them full a hundred percent attention like eye contact they are the only thing in the world that's two minutes then do it again when you get home from work or midday then once again uh at night so it's like two three two or something like yeah, that yeah and that he says it's the secret to marriage. Um, so what do you think of that idea?
0: Well, I think it's amazing. I mean, because I I spend a lot of time with couples and uh, we talk about all of these different things that they can or should do um, as a way to, you know, change the trajectory or the, the, the direction of their marriage. And the number one thing I hear, do you have any idea mm. about why they can't do these things? Oh, wait.
1: What the number one thing that they I'm going to
0: say hey here's a piece of homework here's something i want you to do uh, um, between now and the next time you come back the number one reason they don't do it time you are too busy yeah we're too busy interesting yeah. oh kids are doing this oh kids are doing that or we had this going, Oh, we forgot like it's just, life is chaotic and i'm like yeah life is yeah it is it'll never be <laughs> less chaotic so i think you have to find things that are 7 minutes a day you know um that you can sort of go hey i'm not trying to trying to kind of have you do a two hour date or, you know, extended lovemaking session or have, you know, solve this major problem. But if you make eye contact for two minutes, 10 seconds is a long time, you know? So I loved it as a hack. I mean, I have, I describe it a little bit differently. What I'll say is I think couples ought to have four dates every day. Mm, They have a date at the beginning when they both wake up, a date when one or both of them goes to work, a date when one or both of them comes back from work, And then a date when one or both of them goes to bed. And that doesn't assume that either of you wake up at the same time or that you go to bed at the same time. It just assumes that when we have these transition moments, we do them with real intention and and attention. So kind of like your buddy, like just two minutes of what's going on for you today. Hmm. And then really listen, you know, three minutes of how was your, what was your day about? What was the, what was going on for you? Really listen. And then at the nighttime, I think gratitude is a great way to end the day. Hmm. Look back and go, Hey. For two minutes, let's just reflect on kind of what what we thought was working for us today, and what we're grateful for. It could be about one another, it could be just in general. But I love it as a hack.
1: I'm gonna tell my friend that he'll be delighted that he got professional approval.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. I don't know if you're familiar with um, the Gottman method or who John Gottman is, but no. he's a he's kind of the world's um, leading researcher in marriage, and that at the heart of his discovery. You'd you'd get a kick out of this. I mean, he, he kind of, he he spent about 40 years researching couples longitudinally. And so was, he mapped out kind of, or he watched couples divorce and fall apart, but also watched them stay together and said, oh, the couples that are divorcing, they have this in common. The couples that are staying together, they have this in common. So as a therapy methodology, it's don't do this stuff and then do this stuff. But on the do this stuff side, it's the, kind of the motto is small things often. It's little things, mm. little things with consistency over time, which, which is how you have to learn how to solve a crossword puzzle. Right. You have to kind of go, That's oh a yeah. Point. Yeah. <laughs> I got to, got to keep trying and realize that this word that I never thought was a word is actually a very, very, very famous word, you know, <laughs> or a very popular crossword puzzle word anyway. That is. The crossword people love isai morales they, that's a oh he's one of their favorite yeah guys. there's
1: a whole there's a, a whole crew of people like
0: una una yeah.
1: Chaplin or una Omi o'neill that she yeah. gets in
0: or, or uma thurman uma she
1: is a big yeah. one Ian. yeah um well that can i ask you about this piece of advice that i once heard yeah and of course i want to get your take it was i did a um I did a panel once uh, for one of my books with Cokie Roberts, who was an NPR. Uh, She passed away, but she was a well-known NPR. Sure, I know that name. Um, And she had been married to her husband for, I don't know, 50 years. So someone in the audience asked, what is your secret to marriage? And I can't remember whether it was she or her husband, but one of them said, I find the secret is tooth marks on the tongue. I was like, what? Okay. Meaning like, bite your tongue. Like, don't say everything that comes into your mind. Yeah. Uh, So, and I'm torn on that. Like, I think maybe that is a good idea because I have a lot of petty thoughts that don't need to be aired, but maybe I'm
0: not being honest. So what's your thoughts? I don't know, man. I think like, I think the art of staying married for a really long time is the art of picking your battles. Um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg talked about how, one of the best skills you should have in a marriage is amnesia, you know, (laughs) sort of like we need to figure out like what's really worth going to bat for. The reality is if you, if you pick every battle, then every battle is meaningless. Mm. You know, if you only pick the ones that are worth fighting, um, well, that means you have to bite your tongue quite a bit, Mm. you know, Um, and realize that there's just some things that, that if you're really honest with yourself, they just don't matter. Mm. Um, And so, but if everything matters, then yeah, of course you're going to live in an environment that feels critical or feels, you know, hard to navigate. And why would I want to open my mouth in the first place if, you know, so I don't know if it's, um, I don't think you should self-harm by biting your tongue <laughs> to the level that you have tooth marks on them. But there, there is a, um, there's another proverb about, I forget how exactly how it goes, but something like I've often regretted, I've often regretted having spoken, but never having remained silent. Mm, that was a good one. Yeah. You know? That's interesting. So just sort of the idea that I think that, um, the, the other thing about it, if we go back to kind of your core values around generous, uh, gratitude and curiosity is usually we open our mouth because we think we know something,
1: mm.
0: you know, and if I'm, if I'm, if I'm certain about you, then I'm going to, and I speak out of that certainty then I'm necessarily forfeiting curiosity, which is mm. not going to help me figure out how to dress when I go on date night.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Questions. So, asking lots of questions instead yeah. of, so yeah, maybe don't bite your tongue if it's, if it's a genuine question.
0: And well, uh, if, it's a curio- yeah, if it's a curiosity, but certainly if it's a, if it's a criticism, you know, again, the, life's too short. You gotta, you can't pick, you can't pick all the battles. Right? It's exhausting.
1: Or pick all the puzzles as
0: well. Yeah. only,
1: uh, that will be yeah. my
0: tweak. <laughs> yeah. But you're not afraid of any puzzle. What is this? I'm just finishing up the book and there's this idea that, um, you're sort of talking about uh, let's see. There's a quote I wanted to write it down, but I didn't. It's the idea that you're a sucker for a puzzle with a life lesson. And I guess this last chapter is about sort of hereditary puzzles. But what are you, what is the what's the life lesson that you're that you tease in the title? Kind of that puzzles help you find the meaning to life. What, what, well, it's a lot
1: similar it? to what you were saying about embracing the actual act and process of life and solving puzzles. And the life lesson, I thought. Uh, there are many life lessons I took away, but one of them was, you know, that sometimes you there is no solution and you've got to just enjoy the process. And the way I illustrated that is there is a genre of puzzles, not very well known, but they're called uh, generation puzzles. Right, and they are right. they take so long. They're like Rubik's cubes or puzzle boxes, but they are so complicated that they take more than one lifetime to solve. Like you have mm. to start it, and then your son or or grandkids mm. have to finish okay. it. that makes sense. And I teamed up with this famous puzzle designer in uh, in the Netherlands to create the longest, hardest generation puzzle ever. And mm-hmm. it is you have to turn these knobs in a certain direction and uh, and you can finally pull out this metal rod that's at the the middle of the puzzle. But the catch is that to do it, you don't have to turn these knobs 100 or 200 times. You have to turn them 41 tri- quintillion times, which is an unimaginably large number. And yeah. if you do one per second, the universe will have... uh Turn to darkness by the time yeah. you get to the end. So I. Just, so what's the point? Well, the point is several. One is yeah. I love the idea of having something to pass down through the generations, mm-hmm. um, even if we're not going to solve it. It's this glue that keeps us together. Another is just the idea of humility in face of like huge mm-hmm. things, which I I love that lesson, and and then the final lesson is the one we we mentioned earlier which is, it's okay. It's okay if you don't solve it. It's the joy of the action. It's the joy of the process and the journey. So this is a very, very long journey.
0: Yeah. And I, and I, I don't want to shoehorn the marriage thing in there, but that's exactly what it is, right? If it's going to be a generational thing, um, you do have to kind of find joy in the journey. You do have to continue to do the small tweaks, um, if only to pass down. Yeah, it's there's a lot in there. I don't want to like no, nope, absolutely. Be awkward about making it making it work, but that's exactly what I think and I would say for me to be honest like I honestly do believe that leaning into puzzles and chess over the pandemic has made me a better husband and father because of the what it's done to my mind. It's it's just made my mind play the long game. It's made my mind, you know, kind of muscle through and try to find another way to look at it. It's made my mind, you know, appreciate that this is hard, but it's not as hard as the next one. So, so yeah, I'm pro, I'm pro metaphor in this way. And I'm really grateful to be able to talk to you about it. Oh, I loved it. And also if you have a chance and haven't read it,
1: uh, Ben Franklin has an essay on life lessons learned from chess in particular. And, and one of them is the long game. Like it's okay Um, if you lose, you know, it's going to be sometimes, one step back, two steps forward.
0: I will definitely do it. Um, so AJ Jacobs, where are you? I mean, I, I'm going to make sure everybody knows about the book. It's called The Puzzler. But if people want to just find you or find out about you, what's the best way to do that?
1: Uh, the usual places, uh, the good old internet, ajjacobs.com. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm on Facebook and Twitter at AJ Jacobs and all that. And yeah, I would love to hear from people.
0: Yeah, apparently you reply to your emails. I was so pleased to hear from you. I was like, I think I'm just (laughs) going to see what happens if I send this guy an email. It was like right away. Well, I did. Yeah,
1: I used to be like, oh, I'm too busy. But that was just like, I'm not. I can make time. And these people took the time to email me. So why should I be a jerk?
0: Yeah, well, I'm glad you did. Thank you so much for the book and for talking to me today. And um, I am really glad to be able to speak with you again. My
1: pleasure. I had a wonderful time. and Thank you for what you do.
0: Okay. That's it. That's AJ Jacobs. That's the puzzler. I'm going to be giving this book away for Christmas to a lot of people. And I think you should too. I learned a ton, um, just from, uh, kind of walking around in the mind of someone who is genuinely curious. And, uh, I think you will enjoy just kind of seeing the insights into just everyday puzzles that are around you. And also, um, the puzzle of what it means to make a relationship work. So, uh, for now I will thank you for the time and attention you're putting into your relationship, making it better today.